Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. There's still a good future for the people of God, despite what is going on around us. The more messed up the world gets, the greater the possibilities for a work of the Spirit become, because God works in the midst of these crises, and the whole gospel is about bringing light into a dark situation. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Hebrews. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Hebrews chapter 8 in a message titled, The New Covenant. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Picking up in chapter 8, verse 1. Now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. Let's go on through verse 6. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one, speaking of Christ, also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and the shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle For God said to Moses, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But now he, speaking again of Christ, has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. So he says, now look, this is the main point of what I'm saying to you. And the main point is about the superiority of the the priesthood of Jesus. And so here he just comes right out and makes it crystal clear that we have a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. So he's saying, look, this, this is what I've tried to tell you. Our high priest, Jesus, according to the order of Melchizedek, he's so far superior to Aaron because remember, they're... Uh, struggle was uh, a consideration of returning to the old system. So his main point is that Jesus is greater than all that preceded him. He's greater than Aaron and all of the high priests that followed. He brought in a new and a better covenant than the one that was established by Moses and, and here also in the passage, he says that the priesthood, the sacrifices, the tabernacle, these were all earthly copies of heavenly realities. So what he's saying is, look, the reality, the heavenly reality has come. These things were all uh, temporary measures that were pointing to the future and were pointing from earth to heaven. And now all of that has been fulfilled with the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, So again, he's urging them not to loosen their grip on their faith in Christ, uh, but to hold fast and to uh, continue 
to trust him all the way through. And then he states here uh, that Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant that was established on better promises. So ironically, the Jews had lost sight of the fact that God was going to establish a new covenant. Now, 600 years earlier, through Jeremiah the prophet, God spoke and said to them that the days were coming when he was going to establish a new covenant. Uh, but, you know, the, the Jews just were so tenaciously holding on to this old covenant when God himself said, I'm going to establish a new covenant because of the inadequacy of the old one. So here they are 600 years down the road. And, you know, the irony is that they weren't anticipating this. They weren't expecting this. They should have been expecting a new thing to happen. And that was their great mistake. They weren't expecting it. And so when it happened, to a large degree, they missed it. But, the, you know, there's a lesson uh, for us in that as well. We need to be careful because the same thing has been repeated over and over again in church history where the, you know, God does something and people enjoy it and they're blessed by it, but then they kind of just settle into it and then it becomes a thing of the past. It becomes a memory. It becomes something that, oh, we're so, you know, happy that God did that back then, but there's no expectation of God doing something in the future. We need to be living with both thankfulness for what God has done in our past, but also with anticipation of God still wanting to do things in the future. I believe that there's still a good future for the church and for the people of God, despite what is going on around us. But as a matter of fact, if you think about what the church is to be and what the gospel is all about, the more messed up the world gets the greater the possibilities for a work of the Spirit become because God works in the midst of these crises and the whole gospel is about bringing hope to, to men who are in sin, bringing light into a dark situation. And so Jesus, the author says, is the mediator of a new covenant and now here in uh, verses 7 through 13, he tells us about that. So let me read that to you. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and none of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother saying, know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. In that he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. And now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So let's talk about the new covenant. Well, the new covenant was 
established by Jesus through his death upon the cross. So that's how the new covenant would be established. It would be established through the death of Jesus. Now, I want you to notice as we're looking at the passage here, the God, he's speaking of this covenant having to do with the house of Israel. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And then verse 10, for this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. So the covenant that we're talking about here was a covenant that was to be made and actually is yet to be made with the house of Israel and Judah. Jesus made it that night there with that handful of followers. They were all Jewish. They were all from the house of Israel or the house of Judah. But what's happened is we as the church we have preceded Israel into the covenant. So the covenant was intended for them to be the blessing, but we, the church, the Gentiles, who the Jews had no idea were even going to be brought into favor with God, we've not only been brought into favor, we've been brought into the covenant that they have yet to come into. We preceded them into it. And that's what has happened. Now, they one day will enter in nationally. Israel will one day enter into this covenant, but we, the church, have preceded them. We have been there from the beginning. This is the covenant that God made that we, as believers in Jesus, are a part of. And so I want you to see uh, the unique features of this new covenant. And so first of all, we know that the new covenant is internal and affected by the spirit. Notice what God said, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. So the difference between the old covenant, one of the differences is the old covenant was predominantly external. Remember, it was a covenant that was written on stone. It wasn't written on the heart of a person. It was written on stone. That's external. That's outside. And so a person was to look at those commands written on stone and then seek to conform to them. So the old covenant was external. The new covenant is going to be internal. It's going to be God putting his law in the mind and upon the heart rather than uh, externally upon the stone. It's engraved upon our hearts. Ezekiel gives us a picture of this in the 36th chapter, verses 26 and 27. Listen to what he says. God is, is speaking through Ezekiel, or Ezekiel is speaking on behalf of the Lord. He said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. So this is what we've entered into. We've entered into this relationship with God through this covenant that is internal and it is affected by the spirit. It's something the spirit does. And so Paul describes it like this in writing to the Philippians. He says, it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. So you see, it's, it's from the inside out. 
And oftentimes when we're you know, looking to describe to people what it is that we're talking about with this relationship with Jesus that we have and so forth, we describe it like that, don't we? We talk, you know, It's about God doing something on the inside that will then manifest itself outwardly. And we find that our spiritual life is working from the inside out rather than the opposite. So the new covenant is internal and affected by the Spirit. Secondly, the new covenant is primarily relational. It's primarily relational. And we see that in these words, I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's the whole thing that God was wanting all the while. He was wanting the relationship with the people. But, you know, the the biblical picture is all we like sheep had gone astray. We had turned everyone to his own way. We, We were going the opposite direction. We weren't interested in a relationship with God. God was interested in a relationship with us. And that's why Jesus came. And that's what this covenant is. It is primarily relational. And then thirdly, we go on and we see that the new covenant is intimately personal. Notice what it says here that none of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brothers say, know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. And so the new covenant is intimately personal. And the idea here, all shall know me, it's know me in a personal, experiential fashion. Knowing God. If you You know, anybody who claims to be a Christian and who can't say, I know God personally has missed the point of Christianity. And I say that because, you know, there are people that are sitting in churches all across this land today who would consider themselves Christians. That's why why they're sitting in churches. But if you ask them, do you know God personally? They would say, well, I don't know. I I." don't think so. Uh, no, I, I don't know him personally. Well, if that's the case, you missed the point. This is the point that we come into this personal, intimate relationship with God. That is one of the wonderful features of the new covenant. But then another is this, that the new covenant is of pure grace. It is a pure grace. Listen to what it says here. Their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. On what basis? Simply God said, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. That's pure grace right there. It's not, I will forget their sins if they do this and if they stop doing that. And, you know, then I'm going to, no, it's, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Now, the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, of course, there was a, an element of grace there. There had to be, or there, there could have been no relationship with God whatsoever there because, like we already pointed out, the people immediately broke the covenant right after they had received it. So there was the component of grace that kept God you know, mercifully dealing with them all throughout those centuries and, for, and so forth. But it was a legal system with a grace component. The new covenant is pure grace. There's no legal element to it. 
God just says, I'm going to, I'm going to forgive their sins and their lawless deeds. I am choosing to remember them no more, not because of what they've done or haven't done. It's something that is rooted purely in his grace. The new covenant is of pure grace. And then finally, the new covenant is unilateral. And this, this to me is the really the amazing feature of it. It's unilateral. Unilateral means having only one side. In other words, it's a one-sided covenant. And going back to what I was saying earlier, so in, you know, God makes a contract with the people. They break, they breach the contract. They violate it. And God says, all right, I'm going to make a new covenant. And this time I'm going to leave you guys out of it because if it's contingent on you doing something, we're going to repeat the same situation over and over again. So God makes a unilateral covenant, or another way we could uh, describe it is an unconditional covenant. The condition of the covenant is not based on you or me. All the conditions of the covenant are based upon God's promises and his faithfulness. And when you look at what he says about the covenant, it becomes clear that this is the case. I want you to notice here in verses 10 through 12, five times God stresses what he will do. Notice, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his brothers saying, know the Lord for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Did you notice that you are not in that covenant? Neither am I. It's all what God is going to do. And that is the absolute beauty of the new covenant. It's unilateral. It's unconditional. It's God saying, look, I'm going to do this. You, you can't do it. But I will do it. And that brings us to the final point. The new covenant is an everlasting covenant. And later in Hebrews, he refers to it in that way. He speaks of the blood of the new and the everlasting covenant. It is everlasting. It is unalterable. It is unbreakable. It's an everlasting covenant. It means when once it's entered into, it is permanent. It is unalterable. It is unbreakable. And, and one of the reasons that I am passionate and somewhat adamant about the idea that, you know, once you've truly received Christ, that is an eternal situation that can't be altered is because of the, the nature of the covenant being unilateral. And when you go back and you look at the, the promises that were made to Israel about this covenant, whether it's in Jeremiah or Ezekiel or a few of the other prophets, 
This is what comes across over and over again. God says, when I establish a new covenant, you're going to be my people, and we're going to be in a relationship forever, and it's never going to end. That's one of the features of it. It is an it is now where he's contrasting it. It's not going to be like before when you drifted away from me, when you fell away, when you went into sin. That's never going to happen again. I'm going to bring you into this covenant, and you're going to be my people forever. And there's going to be a perpetual blessing there. And so, of course, like I said, we have entered into that very covenant that they have yet to enter into. We preceded them into it. But what's true of them in the future is true of us in the present. That for us, it is as well, obviously, because it can't be otherwise, it is an everlasting, unalterable, and it is an unbreakable covenant. So when you look at it like this, you say, well, okay, well, what does that leave for us? And, you know, the answer is nothing. The, The answer is nothing. We just believe it. We believe it. But understand this, when the Bible speaks of belief, it's not giving mere intellectual assent to something. It's not just saying, oh yeah, I believe that. Well, yeah, I believe that happened. No, when the Bible uses the word belief or or when the Bible talks about faith, uh, you know, it's, you know, I I believe this. I, I really believe this. I believe this that so much so that I act upon it. See, the person who enters into the new covenant and receives all the benefits that we're talking about is a person who believes it, a person who says, I believe that to be true. I believe that Jesus died for my sin. I believe that I'm a sinner and I need him to be a savior. I believe that. That's how we enter into the covenant through belief. You could describe it maybe just, you know, just to, for you know, explanation sake, it's like believing, believing with their whole heart. Yeah, I, I absolutely believe this. So it's a unilateral covenant. It's an everlasting covenant. What is our part? Our part is to believe it. And as we believe it, we enter in. God puts his spirit in our heart. He begins that work internally that will ultimately, through the process of time, more and more manifest itself externally. But it brings us into what God always desired, that intimate, personal relationship with him, where we go on in our lives living in the grace of God. And in our sins and our lawless deeds, he remembers no more. You know, I think about how every single day, my sins and my lawless deeds are remembered no more by God. We all sin. We might not go out and proactively sin, but we certainly sin in our, sin in our minds. We sin in our hearts. And those things technically under the old system would separate us. But because it's a covenant of pure grace, our sins and our lawless deeds, he remembers no more. And so this is indeed a better covenant established upon better promises. How could those foolish first century Jews want to go back to the old system? It's obvious they didn't understand the true nature of the old system, and they had lost sight of the glory of the new covenant. But God help us to maintain 
that clear perspective and understanding this is the new covenant. There's nothing that could even approach it in glory and beauty, and it's the best possible situation for us. God has brought us into an everlasting covenant with himself, and he's made himself responsible for making sure it's ultimately and totally fulfilled in our lives personally and in his church collectively. For the month of February, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. Isolation, distance, and conflict during these trying times have caused countless people to feel lonely and depressed. But for the Christian, the friendship of Jesus reaches even our deepest loneliness, and we can allow darkness and despair to drive us directly to Him. And when we come to Him, Jesus is able to match our every need with His mercies because He moves towards us with compassion. If you or someone you know needs to know the heart of God, you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Hebrews. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.